my life completely changed. God lifted all of the sadness away from me um, and he just breathed new life into me. And I became completely free. God completely changed my life. And it, it was almost like God had not just given me a, a life, but he'd given me a hope. He'd given me everything that was lacking. I am thankful for that love and just that moment that where it all just made sense and I now have that joy that everyone can really take away. God washed my sins away and given me a new life. I've become a happier person, more peaceful, joyful as well. And I feel so much more free. I feel like I have a purpose. I can't explain how, how it is, but it's, I'm, I'm just, the lives have totally transformed and um, it's been amazing. So as David said, the reading this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 27 to 38. Just then, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Let's welcome Simon as he brings the word. Thank you. Thank you for that, that welcome today and a big welcome, welcome to everyone who's joining us today, whether you're online at Cafe Church, it's great to be with you. And welcome everyone to part two of this series looking at John 4 and looking at the, the subject of the power of God's love. Well, today I want to talk about the subject of life-changing conversations. Now, I, I don't know if you'd agree with me that conversations come in kind of different shapes and sizes. Some conversations are probably, most conversations are probably quite inconsequential, some are fun, but actually there are a few that have the potential to really impact and change our lives. Uh, you, you may be able to think of one in the last year or so right now that's really made a difference in your life. Uh, I can think of one about uh, 18 months ago where I was actually in this room here chatting with one of the guys in the church who's a little bit older than me, but he's, he's super fit physically. And I was asking him, what, what's the secret, what's your secret of being physically well when you get to a certain age? Um, anyway, as a result of that conversation, I've made some changes in my life that have been actually quite costly. They've cost me some of my hard-earned 
rarely seen Yorkshire cash. <laughs> I know, it's a miracle. Um, as I've splashed out on a second-hand rowing machine. Um, it's cost me what feels like hours of time just kind of going backwards and forwards on a, a narrow thingy bob. In fact, it's cost me a bit of life as well because, to be honest, I've strained my back and pulled my left arm as well. But there you go. That, that, was, that was that conversation. Now, however, do you know, that conversation may have changed something in me temporarily, but I believe there are conversations that God has for people like you and me where he divinely orchestrates in his sovereign will two people to come together, one of whom has already encountered the love of God, and the other one who hasn't. And God's sovereign design is to bring those two people together in order there can be a conversation there through which the life and the love of King Jesus can be shared. Now, if you, you remember back to last week, we were looking at how Jesus has a life-giving conversation with the woman at the well. And then actually she then turns, and you saw today, in today's reading, she has a very short conversation with people back in the village that she's from, and she actually starts to have a life-giving conversation with them too. Now, I believe as we look at the passage we're looking at today, if we can learn a couple of lessons that Jesus has for in this, I believe that all of us can be involved in this kind of things that Jesus was involved in. Many senses we turn our attention. Last week we were really looking at this woman at the well. This week we're really looking at Jesus' relationship with his disciples and what he teaches them. Now, do you know, these kind of conversations, they have the potential to change your family to change your friends, to change your workplace. And I think, actually, I believe history teaches us that a whole city can be changed when a group of people get involved in spirit-empowered, life-giving conversations. How many of you want to see this city change and our nation change? Well, I believe as we look at this, I, I've been praying for two things. The first one is this, that every single one of us will engage with what Jesus is teaching us here. And I'm aware that straight away some of you will have kind of gone, no, this is not me. I've, been, I've not been a Christian long enough. Um, I've tried this and it's just hard work. It doesn't happen. I'm not an extrovert. But I want to encourage you, this is something that you can do, that God wants to, in a sense, set up for you. And I believe, uh, secondly, what I've been praying for is a, a kind of an outflow from today that you will have the joy of sharing conversations with other people where you go, wow, look at what God has done in that and through that. How many of you want a bit more of that? Yeah, yeah me too. And my, my sense has been all the way through this season, God, would you do a new work in me? God, would you do a new work in us as a church so this becomes the norm for a Kingsgate person? So let's have a look at two things that I think Jesus is teaching us here. If we want to be people who get involved in life, changing conversations. Here we go. Number one is share Jesus' passion. Okay, this is, in many ways, this is the foundation. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I love the disciples, and I, I love the way that I, I feel like I can completely identify with their utter inability to grasp what Jesus is saying. Not just here, but almost all the way through their interactions with him. And I love it. What, what is it that the disciples are passionate about here? You've got Jesus has been involved in a life-giving conversation. Behind him, 
are a whole pile of people who are coming out of the village of Samaria because they want to come and hear about the love of God. In a sense, God is breaking, about all, breaking out all around them. What is it that the disciples want to talk about? Food. They want to talk about, where's your pack-up, Jesus? Where's your sandwiches? It's like people's eternal destinies are being changed and they're consumed with food and sandwiches and pack-ups. Now, come on, be honest with you. Me, me. How many of you are like that? I'm like that. I can miss out on life-changing conversations because I'm bothered, I'm passionate about stuff that God's not quite so passionate about. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe God is passionate about food and it's good to eat. But actually, I can find in my life, I'm just caught up with stuff that's happening in life and I can miss out on things that Jesus has got for me. So what was it that Jesus was so passionate about that he would actually miss a meal and not mind it? Well, he says this, John 4, 34. Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was Jesus passionate about? Well, Jesus' passion was to give his life to the fulfilling of a plan. Do you know that God has a plan? And that that plan has a part for you and me to play within that plan. Well, when you look at what Jesus says here, he's saying he had a unique part to play in that plan. Jesus' unique part was to go to the cross, die, be raised from the dead. Why? So that people like you and me can come to know and experience the love of God. But God's plan goes more than that. God's plan then was that you and I should experience His love, the power of His love, and then become those who release that love to other people. In other words, God's plan is to change the world one life-giving conversation at a time. Do you know today God has a plan for your family? God has a plan for your neighbours. God loves your brothers and your sisters. He loves your mum and dad. People matter to God. God loves your boss. God loves your work colleagues. God loves your neighbours. Do you know, there is not a person who you've bumped into in your city or your town or your village or your neighbourhood or your workplace that God does not love. I don't know, I, I feel like for me, I have to remind myself, what is God's plan that everybody in this city, in Peterborough, in Cambridge, in Leicester, in London, every city in this nation, what's his plan? That every single one of them should come to know and experience for themselves the love of God. Do you know, when you look at Jesus, what does it mean to share his passion? Well, look at Jesus. What, what did this passion mean for him? Well, it meant that he, primarily, it meant that Jesus submitted his plan to the Father's plan. He presses through, he misses a meal in order to have a conversation with a woman who desperately needs to know the love of God. He presses through past barriers of racism, sexism, religion in order to share the love of God. Jesus changes his itinerary. How many of you love it when your plans get changed? No, me neither. But Jesus was like, no, I'm submitted to this plan. So actually... I'm going to change my plans, not just for this meal, but for the next couple of days. And in fact, if you look carefully here, I think Jesus is modelling something too, that when you have his passion, you take out time 
from our great comfortable Christian friendships to engage with people who are far from God. Notice how Jesus stays on his own while the disciples head off elsewhere. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look what Jesus is saying, I find two things from this. I find this an incredible privilege and it's a massive challenge. What a privilege. God has a plan to change this earth. And his plan is to work that through people, ordinary people like you and me. What a privilege. God has no plan B. We're it. You and I, we're plan A and there is no plan B. What an incredible privilege. But what a massive challenge to stay with the same kind of passion that Jesus has. You know, I I have the privilege of being part of a a leadership huddle within the church. I I gather regularly with some key leaders here. We were just saying a few weeks ago, how strong is our current passion for sharing the love of Jesus? You know, as as I look out over my life, I've always sought, ever since I became a Christian, age 17, back in last century, I've sought to build my life around the call to see as many people as possible come to know the love of God. That's, that's why when I was first married, my wife and I, we moved to Africa. So when we came back from Africa, we went to live on a rough, crime-ridden estate in the northeast of England because we wanted to share the love of God. But if I'm honest, there are plenty of times in my life when I realise that passion level has dimmed. I'm, I'm not living in that way anymore. And, and I remind myself it's not just about the big things. It's not just about, have I obeyed God's call to go? But it's about the small things. It's about that, am I stopping for that person who I bump into in the shop and God says, speak to her. Am I stopping for, if I was still in, the, in my, my teaching, am I stopping for the, the child or the, the teacher who needs me to stop and talk to them? Am I willing to change my agenda? Am I actually spending time with people who are far from God? Or actually... Am I just living in a comfort zone where all of my life is spent in comfortable, we need them, but comfortable Christian meetings? I find that a huge challenge. The Apostle Paul, I believe, was one of those who shared Jesus' passion. Just listen to his words here. He's talking here about his call to go to another city to share the love of God. And he writes this. He says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. In other words, for Paul, there was a compelling move of the Holy Spirit within him that was effectively saying, you can't stay here. It's time to move to another city. He said, listen to what he says. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Okay, I am not inviting you afresh into an easy, comfortable life. Jesus modeled. Passion makes you push through difficulties. Paul models the same thing. Passion makes you push through difficulties out of your comfort zones. But listen to what he says. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord. Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Let me ask you today, if I was to ask you, where's your passion level at? Are you like Paul? You're building your life around the call of God to share the love of Jesus. You're making sacrifices. Are you moving your schedule in order to speak to people and seek to have life-giving conversations? Are you like Paul? And I sensed in my um, run-up to this message, just a funny feeling, there is somebody listening to this message who God has been saying to you, go somewhere, 
go to another city and you've been ignoring that call and I feel God is saying to you, go, move to that place. Do what it is that he's called you to do. But actually for most of us, it's about small adjustments in our everyday life. I, I, I would guess most of us would say, God, I need fresh passion. Maybe like me, you need fresh passion. Well, I've got good news for you today, okay? I am not here to beat you up. I am not here to make you feel guilty because your passion level isn't high enough. The good news is Jesus wants to give you that level of passion. Do you know, it flows from, why did we start this series with an encounter with Jesus? Because that's where it begins. Please, I am not saying to you, try harder, work harder, do more. Yes, there are adjustments you may need to make. Throw off disappointment. Get rid of frustration. Try not to live under rejection and a fear of man. Make the adjustments in your life that you need to make. But I want to say, first and foremost, invite Jesus. Jesus, come again. Help me share your passion. Why don't you even now, even while I'm talking, just invite Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to come afresh. Maybe you had that passion and you've lost it. It's like, God, reignite it in me again. Maybe you've never had it. Maybe you, you've been, you felt so shy and so intimidated by these kind of things. You, you've never done it. Why not ask Jesus to give you such a passion that you can't help it? That he will lead you into life-giving conversations where it just comes out of you because of what he has put in you. And then I want to invite you, make this a habit. Why not every day say, Jesus, give me your love. Give me your love for my boss. Give me your love for my neighbour. Give me your love for my brother, my sister, whoever it is. I, I believe in this season, God, even today, will be laying the names of people on your heart, people around you, people you know, why not invite him again? God, give me love for them. I believe he wants to do a new thing in every one of us. And you know, as we, as we invite Jesus to say, come, give me your passion, what happens then is we start to position ourselves for life-giving conversations. But let, let me give you a second characteristic that I think Jesus is looking to teach us here. Here's the second one. Yes, share Jesus' passion, but second, share Jesus' expectancy. Share Jesus' expectancy. You know, um, I believe God wants us to be those who go into our everyday life expectant that God is going to set up for us encounters with people where we can't believe how there's a synergy and a connection that takes place. And there's something about you and I growing in expectancy. Now, expectancy is, is one of those things that uh, psychologists and psychiatrists have been studying for many years. And they've discovered there's incredible power even in natural expectancy. Uh, apparently, um, recently they've been doing studies about how the brain is wired. And they did an experiment with a, a group of people who were tasting wine. How many would like to be in on that experiment? What they did was they did a brain scan of the patterns of electricity running through their head before they tasted and after they tasted the wine. And what they discovered was when they told them this wine is either expensive or it's recommended by experts, that the actual wiring in the brain changed before they tasted it, so the wine tasted better. Now, hear me, it doesn't work for wine vinegar, okay? But it works for some things. Almost like God has wired into us 
some kind of change that takes place in us when we're expectant. Now, this is really important. We are not talking here about mind over matter. Okay, I am not saying to you, get up every morning and go, I must be expectant, I must be expectant, I must be expectant, I must be, don't, don't do that. Okay, it's about invite Jesus to come and change you. And then it's actually about faith. Expectancy is faith. Faith, that we have a good heavenly father who loves people more than you and I do. And who so loves them, he wants to set up, divinely orchestrate opportunities. He wants to give you the courage, give you the power, clothe you with his Holy Spirit, so when it comes, you will be ready. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this, speaking to his disciples, he says, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Okay, he's, he's not giving them general agricultural advice. What he's saying to them is you need to think differently. He's saying, well, when, when it comes to sharing the love of God with other people, you need to think differently. You're thinking naturally. In other words, that's what he says here. There's four months to the harvest. That's natural. But actually, you need to start thinking supernaturally. That there is a God who's gone before you. He's going to equip you and he's going to prepare things ahead of you. Be expectant. In other, in other sense, go out with a sense of today is a day for harvest. Today, the Father has gone before me and he's preparing circumstances for me to go into divine appointments where there can be life-giving conversations. Uh, Bill Bright, who's the, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, great Christian organisation, he wrote this. He said, Although I have shared Christ personally with many thousands of people through the years, I am a rather reserved person and I do not always find it easy to witness. But I have made this my practice and I urge you to do the same. Assume that whenever you are alone with another person for more than a few moments, that you are there by divine appointment to explain to that person the love and forgiveness he can know through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I want to tell you, some of you may identify with Bill Bright, quite, quite reserved. Believe it or not, I'm actually quite reserved. I, I almost find it easier to stand in front of a crowd and share, because you're a little bit further away, than with one-to-one -one in a McDonald's or wherever. So... so if you're anything like me, I've actually had to stir myself up to be expectant that today God's got some things for me. And it's like the more I stir up my expectancy, the more prepared I am, the more these things happen. You know, I, this, this might help you. One thing I've done for many years is as we were encouraged in Ephesians 6, that as we go out into our day to put on spiritual armour, to be ready for the, the battles of the day, and one of the things that Paul encourages us to put on is he, he says in Ephesians 6.15, he says, go out with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He calls them or the shoes of the good news or the sandals of peace. And I like to think in the morning, okay, Lord, I'm putting on my sandals. How Christian is that? Uh, without socks, probably. But anyway, I'm putting on my sandals of good news. But notice the word that Paul uses there is the word Readiness. In other words, Father, I'm, I'm ready today. Father, as I go into today, Father, would you go before me? Would you direct my feet into appointments that you've already gone ahead of me? 
Would you direct them to me so that in just my ordinary everyday living, I bump into people who are ready to receive something of the love of God and through whom there can be some kind of life-giving conversation. And then I go out into my day and I leave the orchestrating up to God, okay? It's not my business. I'm not sovereign. He's sovereign. And God will do it. Just a few weeks ago, um, I, was, I had one of those situations where God brought me together. And it was completely unexpected. Okay, I was about my normal business. Lunchtime, I, I often work here in this physical building. I like to sneak off at lunch and have, have my dinner on my own. Now, it just happened, and this I don't think it's ever happened before, the only place I could find to be on my own was actually in this auditorium. So there I was, hiding in the, in the, the tiered seating, eating my pack-up. When in, in walks a young man from the conference that was taking place in the building. Um, couldn't avoid it. Two of us in the auditorium, we had to talk. We get into a conversation. Within two minutes, he asked me the question, so what do you people believe? I would tell that to be a divine setup, would you? So we had a life-giving conversation. But here's the thing. It's because there's a sovereign father who was making sure somehow that I'd avoided every other room, sat, in fact, sat on the, the correct side and brought him in at the right time. How many of you want, want a bit more of that? Me too. And it's that sense of God, help us to be expectant. P Peter wrote this, and Peter, who was one of the guys concerned about his pack-up, more than about revival, he later writes this in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared. How often would always cover? Always. always. It's not a difficult word to translate. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let me ask you a question today. Are you ready? How many of you remember gladiators? Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> Do you remember that? The Scottish guy, Dave Robertson, will give you a proper translation. But uh, I almost feel like you, you, I need that at the start of the day, that the Scottish Holy Spirit, as I leave my house, going, are you ready? <laughs> I don't know how you get ready. What's your plan? How are you prepared? Because I actually think expectancy, I can, I can actually stir up expectancy by inviting God, but also by practically being ready. Uh, D.L. Moody, who's a famous American evangelist, who was, his method of evangelism, of sharing the love of Jesus, was pretty loud and pretty strong. And he experienced a lot of uh, criticism from Christians. And there was one day when a, a lady got him after one of his meetings and said to him, uh, Mr. Moody, I, I don't like the way that you talk about the love of God. And D.L. Moody responded to her, and his reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me, how do you do it? The lady replied, I don't do it. And to which Moody retorted, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> so how do we get ready? How, how, how do you get ready to be expectant for what God wants to do. Well, let me, in a couple of weeks' time, as Dave brings this series to a close, it's going to give us a great practical message on how you and I can be involved in life-giving conversations. But let me give you a, a four quick ones here about really from Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. And so you can remember that A to D. Here we go. How can we be ready? A, acknowledge 
strangers. Who, who is it who initiates this conversation with the woman? It's Jesus. Jesus made the first move. A great pastor in, uh, in Northern Ireland talks about an anointed hello. You know, why not make it your habit to go around your normal everyday life and just say hello to people in the shops, on the streets? Just say, hi. Do you know, you'd be surprised how often, particularly if you see the same people regularly, it will lead somewhere to a conversation or an opportunity to invite people to somewhere. Wouldn't it be great if Christians became known as the people who were the most welcoming, the most friendly? Thank you. (laughs) A, acknowledge strangers. B, be kind to people. Look for opportunities to help people. You know, if you're in in Sainsbury's or other supermarkets will do, um, and people are struggling with their shopping, help them. Stop in your day. Come out of your own plan for a moment and just be kind to people. Be nice to them. I remember Paul Scanlon, who's a a great church pastor from Bradford in the north of England, coming and sharing how he had the most amazing, life-giving conversation with a young man. And it started by him saying to him, started by Paul saying to him, I like your shoes. That's how it started. Because sometimes our being kind will open up opportunities in order to have life-giving conversations. C, communicate hope. You, know, you, you will be surprised. I believe as Jesus changes the way we see people, how often we actually bump into people who desperately need hope. Everything may look good on the outside, but actually a positive word from you. I like your hair. That's a beautiful dog you've got. Thank you for serving us so well in this restaurant. Will actually may just bless them. But you know, it may even open up a conversation. I'll never forget, we've as a family, we've tried to make it a habit of being good tippers in restaurants. I remember once in a, um, like a McDonald's, and we we, we ordered a coffee because it's all we got money for. We shared a coffee between four of us. Um, But we got served brilliantly. And as we dug around our couples, we found we got a fiver. So we gave the girl a fiver afterwards. You say, "This this is like back last century. She was so blessed by the fact that we'd been generous to her and noticed her excellence of serving. Communicate hope to people. And then D, don't be weird. Okay? How does Peter say it? He says, communicate with gentleness and respect. Okay, you do not have to walk around with a sandwich board, whacking people around the head saying, you need the love of God, please. Don't be weird, just connect with people. You know, I think for, for my wife and I, some of the most life-giving conversations we've had is looking to apply some of this just into normal, everyday life. A few years ago, we made a decision to say, every time we go for a coffee, if there are people there who are on their own, we're going to invite them to join us. Hopefully not in a weird, stalkerish type of way, but just, would you like to join us? Occasionally, people have said Yes. Occasionally, we've had the most extraordinary conversations. I can remember well one older lady. Do you know, we were the only people who'd spoken to her that day. She just poured out her heart to us. We were able to pray with her and share Jesus with her. Do you know what it started by going, would you like to share a coffee with us? I think that's something we can all do. Do you know, a life-giving conversation can be as simple as just a little invitation. Notice how. How does revival break out in the village of Samaria. 
breaks out when the woman at the well, who's had an encounter with Jesus, she's come to experience the love of God, she then goes to her village and in verse 29 she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Do you recognise that phrase? Come and see. Come and see. Simple as that. Come and see a man. Do you know? That could be an introduction to an Alpha course. Couldn't it? Come and see. All she's saying is, come and see. Come and find out for yourself. Do you know, as, as we're in this current Alpha season, I want to really, really encourage all of us, challenge all of us. Why not out of today, get yourself a whole pile of these invitations and say, get hold of them. Ask God, God, put on my heart the name of someone who you want me to bring to Alpha. Put their name on my heart, Father. Show me them. Or, Father, as I go about my everyday today, guide my feet into opportunities to invite people. So I, I did this this time last year. In the space of one week, I had what I, I would call God-ordained appointments with three people in one week, who are, what, two of whom I'd never met before, who I was able to invite to the Alpha Supper. And to my knowledge, all three of them came. God wants to set you up. God wants to set other people up. He is so full of love. He wants to use even our timidity and our weakness to bring us to people who need to hear something about the love of God. Do you know, I wonder if you'd agree with me, God wants to change our city. Do you agree with that? God wants to change your village. He wants to change your town. He wants to change your neighbourhood. And I believe one of, one of the key ways is he wants to do it a life-giving conversation at a time. And I want to encourage you to, some of you, some of us, and I'm including myself in this, you may need to throw off some of the sense of failure or rejection or hurt. You know, I've told you some of my best stories. Truth is, I've probably told you all of my best stories. And for every single one of them, I've got at least 10 where it went horribly wrong. People said no, and it was a bit cringeworthy. But I've learned something. The less expectant I am, the less I ask, the less life-giving conversations I have. The more expectant I am, the more I give it a go and ask for God's help, the more life-giving conversations I have. And I think that's true for every one of us. Wouldn't it be exciting if every single one of us said, we're going again today. Some of you are already brilliant at it and you say, no, we're going to redouble our efforts. Some of you have never done it. It would be amazing if this week, and I mean this week, the run-up to Alpha, you went you just went, please come, and they came. And you saw some, you played your part in somebody's eternal destiny being changed. Because I believe that is God's plan for every single one of us. Uh, I want to finish by telling you a, a short story, a true story. Uh, I'm sure all of us will have heard the story of the sinking of the Titanic. But one of the true stories that's been left out of most history books is the story of a guy called John Harper. John Harper was a, a Baptist uh, Christian pastor and he was on the Titanic. Um, he'd lost his wife, he was a widower. And as, the, as he realised that this boat was sinking and that people's lives were in peril, the first thing he did was he, was he secured his six-year-old daughter. He put her on a lifeboat. He made sure his sister was there. He basically kissed them goodbye and then he went off around the deck of the Titanic. He was doing two things. 
He was asking people one simple question, as many as he could. And he was saying to them, are you saved? Now, in many senses, that's early 20th century language for, have you come to know the love of God? And there was an urgency about what he was doing. And if people would say, no, I'm not saved, he would have a life-giving conversation with him. He would pray with them there and then. When someone, with one man, he said to him, are you saved? And the guy said, no. He said, do you want to be saved? And the guy said, no. So John Harper took off his life jacket and gave it to him and said, you're going to need that more than I do. And he carried on going round. A few moments later, you will know that the ship then broke in half and any, anybody who was not in a lifeboat was flung into the waters. Something like 1,500 people, all of whom, apart from six, died. One of the survivors talked about how he met John Harper in those waters, while all around him were people dying. And, this, and John Harper shared the love of God with him. He was both saved eternally and saved physically because he managed to get rescued. But he described how John Harper, as he was dying, sharing Jesus' passion, he was going to person to person saying, are you saved? Do you know the love of God? Let me share the love of God with you. Are you saved? Let me share the love of God with you. Do you know, as I read that story really recently, I thought, oh God, there are people all around me. They may not be on the Titanic and dying in cold water, but they are dying for love. They're dying because they need a saviour. And what a privilege that you have positioned me to be able to be a, a carrier of that love to other people and saying, God, would you do a deeper work in me so that I share your passion and so that I live with a greater sense of expectancy. God, take me into more life-giving conversations. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege that you have shown your love to us. Thank you that we have come to know and to experience life-giving, life-changing love. Father, I pray for every one of us I invite you to do a deeper work in us, Father, that we would share the same passion that Jesus has and that we would be as absorbed and consumed with his purposes as Jesus is. And I pray that you would lift off fear and rejection and disappointment and that we would go with a new energy. And I pray, Father, that you would give us your love for every person who you put in front of us in this next week. But Father, we pray too, would you guide our feet into divine opportunities for kingdom conversations. And Father, we pray, let your love flow in our neighborhood, in our village, in our town, in our city, even in our nation, Father. One life-giving conversation at a time. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say, Amen.